0: Open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to continue my short little Christmas series. Uh, it is going to be fairly short, but we're going to continue our, uh, this series of looking at the coming of Jesus Christ, but looking at it not necessarily from the lens of uh, a little baby born in a manger somewhere, although that was true, uh, but looking at it from the lens of the one who came to prepare the way, the voice of one crying out. That person, of course, is John the Baptist. He was born just before Jesus. Uh, he was related to Jesus. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but from certainly what we read in the Gospels, we don't know what happened between the birth and the public ministry of Jesus. We don't know very much about that anyway. But uh, uh, by all accounts in, in the text uh, that we're going to be reading today and by all accounts of things that, that, uh, that we see in the Gospels, I don't know how much interaction there really was between Jesus and John the Baptist, how much they saw each other or knew each other And according to what we have in the Gospels, their time of ministry together was uh, fairly short, actually. Uh, The the time of of overlap between the two of them was fairly short. And so we're going to look through the lens of John the Baptist, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to see what we have to, um, what reason we have to celebrate the coming of Jesus. And I told you this last week, so it's not a It's not a surprise anymore. I don't know if it was a surprise last week, but uh, uh, we're going to look at it not just looking backwards at the coming of Jesus uh, when he was born as a little baby, but we're going to look forward to the coming of Jesus when he returns as the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we read last week John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, and today we're going to just pick up the next couple of verses there and read 29 through 34 and continue this discussion of what that voice was saying that was crying out. Last week, we focused on the fact that, that a big part of what the voice cried out, what it began to cry out, was that we should prepare the way for Jesus to come. And that preparation requires something from our, on our part. If we want to be ready for Jesus to come, we need to be prepared. We need to be repentant of uh, where we're at. We need to be ready to enter in or to be entered into the kingdom of God. Let's read together John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day he, this is John the Baptist, he's out in the Jordan, he's baptizing people, he's uh, preparing the way for them to come, he has a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And verse 29 says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. He was preparing the way for the revelation of Jesus. It says in verse 32, And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. Second time he says it, by the way. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me, God, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Can I, can I tell you something? This will come through again through the message today. But can I tell you something that we have, uh, uh, believe it or not, or you may not think of it this way, but we have a, a fairly important role to play as we celebrate Christmas Again, we get all caught up in the preparations of it. You know, the, the, we're getting ready for family get-togethers. We're buying presents. We're making sure everything's laid out straight. We want to have all the... We wanna, we're looking for... It is a good time of year. I, I love this time of year in terms of getting together with our families and, and the time we spend together and just, just the, the, the atmosphere this year. But we have a fairly important task. We don't often associate Christmas with a task for us. But John makes it clear that as he came... That he was, well, the last verse I just read there. He says, I'll read it so I, so I get it right. He says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. There's a, there's a task that remains for us, and we're going to tease this out a bit this, this morning. But a task that remains for us that while we celebrate Christmas, we should be testifying to the fact that this is Jesus and he's the Son of God. That there's a reason. Otherwise, there's no reason for us to throw a big celebration Right? Or am I wrong about that? Where are we at? Is the reason we're having big Christmas get togethers because we like getting presents or giving presents or we like being together with family? Those are good things, by the way. I'm not against giving or giving presents or being together with family. I love being together with my family. Is that the reason we have to celebrate a lot of stuff? Is that the the reason why we should pull out all the stops and have a big, giant celebration? Y'all just kind of looking back at me. Is it? No. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God, and today... The focus for my message last week was on, the, the, the primary call of that voice crying out was that you should prepare the way for Jesus to come. You should make straight paths. You should bring down the high places. You should fill up the low places. You should straighten up the crooked places. You should even out the rough places. You should make it possible that you can find Jesus during Christmas. You should make it possible that, you, that Jesus can come to you and you can come to Jesus, uh, not just during Christmas, but certainly during Christmas time. Today, the overarching cry of the voice crying out is in verse uh, 29, when Jesus sees, uh, when John sees Jesus, let me get that right, when John sees Jesus coming, and he says, it's an announcement. Behold, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In a nutshell, if I can tell you something, this should be the cry that echoes out of our celebrations. Of Christmas. Behold, it's the Lamb of God and He takes away the sin of the world. I tell you this all the time, brothers and sisters. I hope you know this of me. I'm up here talking to you, but I'm sitting in the bench along with you. It's just as easy for me to enjoy my family get togethers, to have lots of good food, lots of good snacks, play lots of family games, enjoy all the company, have a little break from work, have a little break from school, have some good family times together, it's just as easy for me to coast through and say, then I really am appreciative of Christmas break because it just allows me to, you know, sit back and relax a little bit. I'm no different than you. The problem I have is if we're going to read the Bible and claim to live biblically, then there's got to be something more that we're about. There's got to be something more that Christmas is about. And here it is. The voice of that one crying out. He cried out last week, prepare the way. But he's going to cry out this week, behold, it's Jesus. He's here. And this is where you can think of, think of all the things you think of Christmas. Vision the scene that you think of Christmas. And you see Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem. She's very pregnant. And, and they're trying to find a room. And the, and the city is bustling because the whole area is in an uproar because there's a census going on. And they have to figure out where they're supposed to be. They have to take note of that. They, they, all this taxation stuff. There's all this stress. Just like we sometimes have holiday stress, right? There's all this stress. And they're trying to find a way. There's no place for them to, to stay. And finally, they're tucked away in some, some stable, some, again, we see it as this clean, nice little, it looks really nice there, right? I don't think it looked anything, not against nothing, against this, by the way. It didn't look anything like that. It was, it was where the animals stayed. Have you spent any time in a barn lately? Would you like to give birth to a baby there? No. And Jesus is born. He's the king of the universe. We read this morning in our, in our Sunday school lesson that by him and, him and through him all things are made in the world. And he is born quietly on a night when no one finds out in a dark, stinky place. And the shepherds come and they kneel down, and, and they're, they're not the cream of the crop, right? They come, and they get to see Jesus being born. And we know the story of the Magi, and, and who even knows why they're coming and what their own belief system is, but they see this star, and they have this journey coming, and they serve, honestly, they serve to frustrate the plans of Jesus. Uh, that's not really, really true, but, but, but to put him in danger, right? Because they go to Herod, and they say, hey, where's this king? And he's like, king, i got to know about this guy, because I want to kill him. And they go and they give their gifts. They go some other way. Jesus and his, and his wife have to flee to some other country. Like, think of these, th- all these things are laid out. And this is the birth of the king of the world. This is not what we would envision. This is not, but all those things are packaged together. And as we are, of course, just a, a few years later down the road, but as, as Jesus walks up that day to John the Baptist in the water baptizing, and John looks at him, he says, look, everyone, Pay attention. This is him. This is him. It's the Lamb of God. He was a little baby. He was born in in weakness. He was born in adverse conditions. He was hunted from very early on in his life. He was despised. Only the lowly found, found out he was being born. Here he is, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world stop for please stop for a moment and marvel and marvel at the simplicity and the the stunning impossibility of paying for the entire the entirety of the sins of the whole world every person that's ever lived never will live and it happens it gets started as a little baby is born how can that be How can that be? And yet, there's that voice crying out. Look, he's here, he's here, Jesus is here. He's the Lamb of God and he takes away your sin and my sin and the sin of every person who's ever lived and ever will live. Friends, we have so much to celebrate at Christmas time. Let's make sure we're celebrating the right things. We have so much to be grateful for. Let's make sure we're grateful for the right things. We have so much to herald and to announce and to cry out. Let's make sure we're heralding and announcing and crying out the right things. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's here. But all of the things that are unfolding, all the reasons we have to celebrate, are fleshed out, not just in what we see when we see a little baby laying in a manger, but in what we understand is coming and taking place. And we're going to keep listening to that voice that's crying out. And we keep looking at what John the Baptist says. Now, there's a little hints of it here, but I'm going to go to the Gospel of Mark to read this. When John the Baptist, the same scene in Mark, Mark chapter 1, same scene. He's out there baptizing. When Jesus comes, uh, well, he's actually preparing for Jesus to come. But he says these words. John says these words. He says, after me comes he who is mightier than I. Now, now you got to picture the scene here. John is having tremendous success by our standards. He's preaching a message of repentance for, this, for the forgiveness of sins. And there are people coming in droves. In fact, even the religious leaders from Jerusalem are traveling out into the middle of nowhere to see this guy. This, this uh, enigma of a man who's dressed in wild clothing and eats crazy things. And he's out there. I, he's probably not actually frothing at the mouth, but that's kind of the picture. Right? He's, he's out this crazy guy, and he's calling people. And there's people coming in. There's people getting in the water and getting baptized. And he says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I'm not even worthy to get down to the most menial task of all with this man. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we immediately see that John is able to and should be able to, and we should be able to make a clear distinction between something that John is able to do and what Jesus has come to do a fundamental difference in what God is now bringing about through the birth of this one that he calls the Messiah. John's and he's, he's preaching powerful messages, and he's baptizing people, and he's saying, I want, to, want you to repent. I want to forgive your sin. I want you to understand forgiveness. The kingdom of God is here. It's coming. But he says there's a fundamental difference. I'm baptizing with water, but the one who's coming, who is so far superior to me, pointing to Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. God is going, Is in fact, well for us we're looking back, right? Has done something far different than what he did at any other point. All the beautiful language that John in his gospel writes in about, about Jesus coming and dwelling among us. And, and being here in us. All those things have an ability to continue to be true with us today. Though we live 2,000 years after the fact, because Jesus came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. It is the ongoing presence of God who continues to tabernacle and dwell among us. You understand the Christmas story wouldn't be nearly as powerful if it would be Jesus having been born, even having died, even having come back to life, and gone to heaven, and here we are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting But Jesus said, it is for your good that I leave. Because when I leave, the Father will send you the Holy Spirit. You understand that if you would have lived here where we live today, when Jesus was born then, you wouldn't have known about it or had any benefit from that. Because that's where he was at. It was over in Palestine. But today, no matter where we are at on this globe that God created... We have access and can in fact be indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. We are never, it is never more true what scripture says that God won't leave us or forsake us. Now his presence is always everywhere. I want you to be clear about that. But it's never more true that his presence dwells inside of us than what has happened with the Holy Spirit. And John said that's why Jesus came. He was born. He was to take away the sins of the world. He was to bring about this covenant that was different than the, the, the first covenant. God was going to place his spirit inside of us, his law inside of us, that we would obey with hearts of flesh and not hearts of stone, is what he told Ezekiel. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then, this is still from Mark, and then the most unbelievable thing happens. We read about it in John, but I'm going to read about it again. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John, in the Jordan, if we were to read, I think it's in the Gospel of—I uh, forget which Gospel. I shouldn't say it now. One of the other two Gospels. John actually backs away from that. He says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not—I go- don't—I shouldn't be doing. I shouldn't be baptizing you." And Jesus says, "No, we want to fulfill righteousness." And and Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. But I want to read this because it's these words I want to get. And a voice came from heaven. And that voice said, what did it say? You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. God spoke audibly from heaven and said the same thing that John had said. You see, John's voice crying out was only saying what God was saying. And the proof is right here. Because when John saw Jesus coming, he said, behold the Lamb of God. And then he baptized him. Then God said the same thing. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. God made this pronouncement that was audible, and they heard it. Jesus, you're my son. I'm pleased with you. What an an amazing scene as John the Baptist sees this unfold before him. All these things he's crying out, all these things he's hearing from God and saying, I don't think we probably even can come close to understanding or to, to getting a sense for what that must have felt like when he saw Jesus actually walk onto that, onto that bank that day and to see that scene unfold, the baptism, the Holy Spirit come down and the voice proclaiming. It is the fulfillment. It's, it's, it's everything that John was sent to do, he saw happen. Again, though we may not understand that fully, I encourage you, I encourage you as you prepare and as you celebrate Christmas this week, as a family, little family, you know, bigger family, I don't, whatever you're going to do, as you do that, grab a sense of what you're celebrating, the birth of Jesus Christ, was bringing about the fulfillment of all that God had planned to do through Jesus, that you might with John cry out, behold, it's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He's here. He has arrived. Now, we're on the subject of baptism and being baptized with water or the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to take this opportunity. It's maybe not typically part of a Christmas message, but take take advantage of this opportunity to read some words that Jesus himself would then say very shortly after this baptism. If you go back to John, we began in John chapter 1. Go back to there and actually go to uh, chapter 3 of John. This is the good news. This is the message that that John the Baptist was opening the way for and that Jesus brought in. And I want to just read a little bit of that, uh, that he speaks with a guy named Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus. He comes to him at night. This is John chapter 3. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. You come from God. No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And then Jesus says some things to him. He's He's, he's connecting to what John the Baptist said was going to happen. You know, John, he's still, John, as he's preparing the way, he's saying, he's going to baptize with, the Holy, with water, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus will. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm guessing people were like, what does that even mean? We take, some, we take for granted sometimes the knowledge that we have because we're on this side of things and reading the scriptures. They didn't know that. What does that even mean? What are you even talking about? He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus begins to open that up, and he begins to show us what it's going to look like to receive Him. Jesus says this in chapter three, uh, chapter three, verse three. He answered Nicodemus, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Nicodemus said to him, "How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born?" And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, now he's going to bring the same thing in, born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, 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 said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born Of the Spirit. Now, there's a whole bunch of things we could talk about in this text, which is not the point of the message. What I want us to get to the fact is that there's an important thing happening here that we need to see. As we celebrate a baby being born, we have to recognize that he was born on this earth so that we might become born again. We might become born again. If we're gonna celebrate a birth, can I suggest you we celebrate? a spiritual birth for us. That we aim towards having a second birth for everyone. It hinges upon that birth of Jesus Christ. It it comes out of it. It's made possible because of the birth of Jesus Christ. But according to what Jesus himself said, it is not going to do you and I a whole lot of good to celebrate his birth if we're not willing to recognize that we have to be born again. What is born of flesh... That's all of us right now. We're all living, alive. We're all breathing. What's born of flesh is of flesh, but flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Only spirit. We must be born again. We have to be born of water and of the spirit. We must have received that second, well, how do I say this? This gets confusing because we have theological terms that that get this stuff muddled. I was going to say the second, that's that second baptism, not just the water that you may have had if when you became a church member or when you were a little child or a younger child and you had water baptism for the repentance of sin, we must have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. We must have received the Holy Spirit. We must have been born again into eternal life through Jesus Christ. I want to continue reading here because uh, there's something else that is going to come back to our discussion where we began with. As John the Baptist and Jesus do coexist for not very long, like I said, but they do coexist. And John the Baptist continues his ministry, preparing the way for Jesus. But Jesus is beginning his ministry too. And the disciples of John the Baptist come to him. And they say, hold on. Jesus is now, he was with you, the one that you bore witness to, but he's now baptizing and all are going to him. As in, are you okay with this, John? And John says, this is now John chapter 3. And I want you to turn there so you can read these words. John chapter 3, starting in verse 27. John says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ. Let me remind you of something. He says, I'm not the one. I already told you that. So, so I already told you that. Don't forget that. I'm not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The one who the bride has been prepared for is the bridegroom. He's pointing to Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Now he's talking about himself. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above... For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The reason I'm reading this text to you this morning, which again is not a traditional Christmas text, is because I want us to see our role in celebrating Christmas. First of all, making sure we're celebrating for the right reasons, that we are uh, full of joy and peace and hope for the right reasons, that the birth of Jesus Christ, that we point back to that at the birth of Jesus Christ and what that brought about. We're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. But I want us to see that almost immediately in this unfolding story, there was one who came to prepare the way, and almost immediately, there was a, a decision that had to be made, For John, as I already told you, was very effective in ministry. But then Jesus came, and his job was to point to Jesus. And immediately as people began to move towards Jesus, there was the question, now what are you going to do, John? Are you truly pointing to Jesus, or are you going to hang on to some of that yourself? And John, though you may, sometimes it may be a little confusing to read through, John becomes very clear that, no, 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 no. I told you from the front, I'm not the Messiah. In fact, the bride is being prepared for him. He uses that language, bride and bridegroom. It's for him. And I'm just a friend of that bridegroom of Jesus. And I'm rejoicing that the wedding is about to happen. I, I see this coming together. And in fact, I need you to know something. That what comes from heaven, Jesus, is above everything. I, I'm just born of earth. I'm just born of, of a human, just like everyone else. I'm not, I'm not God's son. But he is. And here is the crux of the issue. If you will receive and believe in the Son that God has sent, you'll have eternal life. If you don't obey, then you will not see the life, but the wrath of God will remain on you. Now, just be clear how that says the wrath of God, you were born into sin, all of us were, which means the wrath of God is already on us. It will remain on you if you will not receive Jesus but the good news of the birth of jesus christ and the life of jesus christ and the death of jesus christ and the resurrection of jesus christ is that that wrath does not have to remain on us but the clearest place he said it i actually skipped over because he said it in verse and in verse 29 verse 30 it is my joy to see god bring about what he said and he jesus must increase i must decrease If we want to have any success at at making any attempt at making our celebrations of the coming of Jesus Christ say anything about, behold, here's the Lamb of God, this has to be true for us, that we must decrease, Jesus must increase. Talk of Jesus, pointing to Jesus, awareness of Jesus, putting what Jesus did on display, Uh, All of that must increase, all of what we're doing, what we are about, what we have put together, what we can do or know or all that stuff must decrease. Now, I told you that at the very beginning that for us, we stand as a bit of a signpost. We're looking back, we're looking forward. We're not John the Baptist, but we play in some sense the role of John the Baptist in preparing the way of Jesus, and if you were to read the same words that I just read to you a little bit ago from John chapter 3 starting in verse 27 all the way down to verse 36, what John said to those who came to him, we could find that this is a recipe or these are instructions for us. This is how we should respond. This is what we should have to say. Jesus, the one who came from heaven, is above all. I'm, I'm, I was just born from here. I, I, have to, I have to get less. He has to get more. You have to... Look at what he has to say. God sent him, and he he gives the spirit without measure. It's Jesus, the Lamb of God. He gives the spirit without measure. It's him who baptizes. Now, I can say these words as a preacher, but honestly, all of us can say these words in some sense. Maybe not literally, but in some sense. I can baptize you with water. I really can. You saw it in the note in the bulletin. I'm preparing for baptism service now. I get really excited about baptisms. I love baptizing people. I can baptize you with water, but Jesus is the one who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. And you need that. You need to be born again. You, you, you won't get into heaven because I put you into water. You will have life if you believe in the Son, if you receive Jesus Christ. This signpost is really important when we celebrate looking backwards. But I can tell you, as I told you last week, the signpost becomes even more important when we're looking forward. May our Christmas get-togethers have some pointing to Jesus, and as they point to Jesus, may they not just point to a baby, but may they point to a coming king. We are in that same preparation period that John, ours is a lot longer than John's was, but we're in that same preparation period where we have A calling, if I can put it that way, from the God to say the words that John the Baptist did. These words, behold, the Lamb of God. Look, behold, hold him. Like, take notice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I can tell you there's a day coming when those words will be said and they will be literally true. Where you can actually behold the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. In fact, I thought, again, it's not a typical Christmas message, but I thought, what a better way to end a message helping us celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ there and the coming coming of Jesus Christ, the future coming of Jesus Christ. What a better way to celebrate that than to look at when these words will become true. So turn with me, if you would, to Revelation. John records this. Remember, John the Baptist recognized that he was there to help reveal Jesus to Israel. That word reveal, that's the word revelation. John now is revealing Jesus to us, the coming revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to jump back a little few verses because since, uh, since John used these words of a bride and a bridegroom uh, there, John the Baptist did, now John in his revelation uses these same words. Uh, go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, I want to start reading in verse 6. I'm inviting you to let your Christmas celebrations be flavored with this in the background. That as they're pointing to the birth, they're also coming, pointing to the second coming of Jesus. Here's what John wrote. He said, Then I heard, in verse 6 of uh, Revelation 19, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure." For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I want to pause just a moment. Those are the words encouraging us that we want to be part of that someday. We want the coming of Jesus Christ to bring about the joyful reunion with the bride and the bridegroom that we see pictured here. The hallelujah, the rejoicing and the exalting, the giving God glory, the marriage of the Lamb. Remember what John said when Jesus walked? He said, behold, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Same Lamb we're talking about here. The marriage of the Lamb. But now I want you to take time to focus on the next verses. This will be the ultimate fulfillment of, behold, the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. John says in verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on is called Faithful and True. True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, That we are looking forward to. By the way I would tell you. This is the coming of Jesus. That you are actually pointing to. Even when you look back at the birth of Jesus in in a manger. You are recognizing that what he did. What was started there. Will be culminated on this side. Look at the names given to Jesus. Let these names be names on your lips. This Christmas celebration. He is the one who is called faithful and true. We need faithfulness so badly in our world today. We have become fickle. We have become willing to sell each other out at the slightest inconvenience or the slightest pressure. We need faithfulness. We need truth more than we've ever needed truth in our society, in our world. We do. All of us do. Not just, again, it's so easy for us to think, oh, there's people out there. We do. We need the one who is faithful and true. Look at this name given to him. We need the word of God because it says Jesus, his name, he's called, the name by which he's called is the word of God. He is the word of God. If you want to know Jesus, pick up your Bible and read about him. Read who God is because that's who Jesus is. Him and his father are one. He's the one who's coming. And... The final one, of course, we know he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is no King higher, greater, more powerful. There's no Lord surpassing, usurping, or in any way coming above him. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. May our celebrations, our proclamations, may they consist of saying, behold, it's Jesus, the Lamb of God. He has come to take away the sin of the world. When he's coming again, He will be called the faithful and true one, the word of God, the king of kings and lord of lords, and he will not come quietly as a little baby tucked away in some corner, stinky stable, where a few of the worthless people of the field find out. Make no mistake. I read those words before, but make no mistake when he comes again. Your knee, as every knee, will bow. Your tongue, as every tongue, will confess. These names are true behold the lamb of god he takes away the sin of the world let's pray god thank you for your faithfulness to us that we're distracted that we're consumed by many other things even in the celebration of the coming of the king of the world we're consumed with many other things you are faithful You're faithful in reminding us. You're faithful in giving mercy to us. You're faithful in prodding us. You're faithful in helping us to see. Lift your eyes a bit higher. Make your celebration a bit fuller, more real, about the real, the reality of what this is about. Jesus, behold Behold, he's the Lamb of God. He's come to take away the sin of the world. As we contemplate, and I hope we do, but as we contemplate this week, Father, the coming of a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, being visited by ones we would never suspect would have come, but the ones we would have thought would know about the birth of the Messiah wouldn't have have anyone around. As we contemplate that, may we be reminded, may we have this this building urgency inside of us that we are looking at the one or thinking about or contemplating the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and we want to be the bride that has prepared herself so that when the Lamb comes again, we will be invited. We'll have an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. that we will have prepared, repented, prepared the way so that when it becomes reality, which your word says so clearly will happen, when it becomes reality, we are ready. And in fact, we are rejoicing. We are the ones who can cry out sincerely, behold, it's the Lamb of God. He's taken away the sin of the world. And now we shall forever be with him. Thank you, faithful and true one. Jesus, thank you, Word of God. Jesus, thank you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, for your great gift to us. Thank you that you are coming to reign again with wisdom and righteousness and justice. Thank you that we can hide ourselves in you. Thank you that we have been made aware of what you have done for us and that through what you've done for us we can be made right with our heavenly father thank you that we have an anticipation of glory forever in heaven and it's all because of you jesus we worship you we bow before you we declare today that you are king and lord the word of god faithful and true Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.